we, we live as foreigners, as people of the kingdom of God, we live as foreigners in a sin-cursed world. And we're, the, the sin-cursed world that we exist in is trying every single day to change our identity, making us more and more like the world. They want us to, to change, to compromise, and become just like everyone else. Whereas as followers of Jesus, we're called to look different than the world. So I think this is such a timely, relevant passage for us. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to give you four don'ts for looking, di- or for looking different than the world. Four don'ts for looking different than the world. So I want you to read with me in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read through verse 6. Starting in verse 1, Daniel chapter 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Let's stop right there. So if you can't tell... Babylon is bad news. Like, you, you don't want anything to do with Babylon. And you can see uh, here that they, one of the reasons is that Babylon is like, they're like sin city of their time, right? They place all this emphasis on idolatry and false gods. I mean, it is a, it is a, a, a dirty, low place. You can equate it to today's like Las Vegas or like Athens, Georgia. And so <laughs> we see very clear here through the decree of King Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar has a little bit of an ego problem. He he thinks very highly of himself, and given that this is a place that loves idolatry and loves false gods, he decides, well, I'm just going to make a statue of myself that is so high it can be seen from anywhere, and I'm going to declare that whenever music plays, everyone in this kingdom has to bow down and worship me, worship this statue that I've created. And if they don't, we'll throw them into a fiery furnace that we have specifically designed for executing people. This place is bad news. And, and according to scripture, as we, we could, have, uh, could, could continue to read, but I want to summarize kind of the next few verses for us uh, so that you don't hear the bagpipes and the lyre and the trigon and that over and over again. Um, everyone, it, they, they follow this decree. Everyone bows. But we learn in, in verse 12 that there are three guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that decide to go against the grain. They decide to swim upstream, and while every single person is bowed, they are on their knees worshiping this statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take a stand. And there are some people who notice, and they report it to King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar, he draws them into his, uh, into his courts, and he's going to have a conversation with them. But I want to stop here and give you our first don't. 
our first don't for looking different than the world, and it's this. Don't blend in with your surroundings. Don't blend in with your surroundings. If you want to look different than the world, don't blend in with your surroundings. So if you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this passage, it would have been so easy, so easy to use where they were as an excuse just to blend in. Like legitimately, idolatry would have never been easier than it was for them right now. If they were back in Jerusalem and they wanted to practice idolatry, man, they they would have stuck out like a sore thumb. But here in Babylon, everybody practices idolatry. The whole, literally, according to to this passage, people of all nations and all tongues are bowing down, meaning the people that came from Jerusalem alongside of these guys, they're also bowing down. Like it would have never been easier for them to compromise. It would have never been easier for them to blend in and and, and look like the rest of the world, whether it was because they wanted to or whether it was because they just didn't want to cause any ripples, because they didn't want to get in trouble. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though, they chose not to let their location determine where they would place their loyalty. They didn't let their location determine where their loyalty lies. So something that I I think we have to become aware of is that our surroundings, they influence who we are. Our surroundings, they influence who we are. And if we are not careful, it can become so easy for us to look exactly like that which we're surrounded by. So our our church offices are right across uh, the street from this Mexican restaurant called La Paria. Have any of you ever been to La Paria in Gainesville? Awesome. So you're going to know what I'm talking about. But some, I'm sure there is a Mexican restaurant around here that is the same way. Here's the thing about La Paria. You walk into La Paria and you experience a meal there and it is average. And you, you, you eat and, and, you know, it's great, whatever. And then head on back to the office. And then people will walk by your office door and they'll, they'll kind of they'll go past and then they'll stop. And then they'll poke their head back around the corner and they'll point at you. They're going to be like, La Paria for lunch? And you're like, yeah, how'd you know? It's because this restaurant like puts off an odor and it follows you wherever you go. So I don't know if it's something that they're doing with their fajitas. I don't know. I, I do not know what it is. But genuinely, you spend any length of time in this restaurant and you walk out smelling exactly like the restaurant. Now, this does not just take place at Mexican restaurants. There are just places that have odors that they will follow you wherever you go. And I know that's kind of a goofy picture, but I think it's, it really is such a, such a good picture for us to have in our minds that if we're not careful, we can start to smell like, to look like that, that, that we are surrounded by. And we have to be so conscious, so conscious of our surroundings, because if we are not, we can begin to look like the very world we're called to reach And we can't reach the world if we look just like the world. Growing up in church, I don't know if you guys experienced this, those of you who grew up in church, but I was always taught that if I find myself in surroundings that are like, that are sinful, if I find myself surrounded by people who, uh, you know, who are not followers of Jesus or just in a situation that I don't need to be in, I have always been told, man, get out of that situation. You need to flee and and I think that that's good advice. And there are certainly situations where, where that is what you need to do, most definitely. But while that is good advice, 
I don't know that that's, and I'm sure you guys can kind of identify with this. I don't know that that's always practical advice. I don't know that the, the way that we should go about handling this is always to change our location. And here's why. You guys, again, you could probably identify with this. Many of you have jobs. And when you have jobs, one thing that I learned whenever I got my first job, I don't get to choose who I work with. Like, it's just kind of the setting that, that I'm placed in. You guys don't, I mean, you have a choice as to where you go to school, but you're not going to find a, a college where, where the world is not present in some, in some way, right? Like, you are going to naturally, because we live in a sin-cursed world, it is in, an inescapable reality that you will be placed in situations and have surroundings that are worldly, that, that are not of Christ. So what do we do when we're in those moments? Because it's not practical advice to just say, change your situation. What do you do? Well, I think that Jesus speaks into this. Jesus knew that we were going to, as followers of him, that we were going to be placed in situations that were inescapable, like there was nothing that we can do about it. And so Jesus, he prays this prayer in John chapter 17, and I love this prayer. In John chapter 17, verse 15, he's praying for believers. And he says this, and I think it's, it's so profound. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In other words, Jesus knows that there are going to be situations in our life that we just can't help but be surrounded by sin. It doesn't mean we go looking for those situations. It doesn't mean we put ourselves in those situations. But there are going to be situations uh, because of sin where we're going to be faced with brokenness and depravity. But what do we do about it? In verse 18 of that same prayer, Jesus writes this, and I love this. It says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Each and every one of us, Jesus said it. He said, I don't want you to be taken out of the world, but I'm sending you into the world. So what that tells us is that we have to have a mindset change. And this mindset changes everything. See, we, we're called to be in the world, but we don't just exist in it. We're sent into it. So what that means is that you don't just go to school. You don't just go to UNG Dahlonega. You don't just go to Truett McConnell. You're sent to school. You're, you're sent to the place that you exist on a weekly basis. You don't just go to work. You're sent to work. You don't just go to the gym. You're sent to the gym. All these places that you find yourself where you are surrounded by the things of, your, of the world, you are sent there. Which means that your role is not to just show up and exist and to blend in and try to fly under the radar. But your role as a follower of Jesus who's been sent into the world is not to be shaped by your surroundings, but to be the one who shapes your surroundings. Like, you should be the one who, who is making an influence. You should not be being influenced by the surroundings that you find yourself in. So as followers of Jesus, we are sent. We're sent to look different, sent to help a dying world recognize their need for a Savior. And sure, it might be easier for us to fly under the radar, but you can't do that if you're sent. Sent people don't pass up opportunities to make much of Jesus. Don't blend into your surroundings. Let's keep on reading. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. We're going to pick up in, in, this, uh, in this moment where Nebuchadnezzar has called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in front of him. And we're going to see what happens. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar uh, answered and said to them, 
Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound, here we go again, of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? So this is kind of crazy, but the king of Babylon is offering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a second chance. I mean, this is a miracle in itself. Like if there is one person in the entire world at this time that you did not want to be on the bad side of, it's this guy. But miraculously, he gives them another chance. And what I find that that is interesting is that these guys, they don't like step back and go into a huddle and be like, all right, guys, so what are we going to do? Are we going to bow or are we going to not bow? Like, there, there's none of that. They're, they're not talking it through. There's no sort of like pros and cons list. What I think is significant is that these guys had their minds made up beforehand as to what they were going to do in this moment. Like, they came into this situation with their minds made up. The strategy for so many of us when it comes to making God-honoring decisions for so many of us, our strategy is to wait until we're faced with a decision to make, to make a decision. To wait until we're in that moment where, where like the choice is ours. Am I going to follow the path of the world or am I going to follow the path that honors God? We wait until we're in that point of decision, till we're at the fork in the road to figure out what we're going to do. And, and the second don't that I, that I want to share with you tonight is don't decide in the moment. Don't decide in the moment. See, waiting to make a decision until you're in the moment is like trying to learn to fly an airplane by yourself when you're 35,000 feet in the air. Like, you might could get up there and figure it out, but the odds are not in your favor, right? Like, the timing is terrible. Like, there needs to be some preparation there needs to be some time spent in a flight simulator. There needs to be some time spent studying before you get to the point that you are up in the air making decisions about how you're going to land this plane. And that's what it's like to make decisions uh, in, the, in the moment when the decision has to be made. So you might ask, well, well, how do I get there? How do I get to a place where I'm making decisions before a decision has to be made? That doesn't really make sense. Like, am I supposed to anticipate the, these decisions that I'm going to have to make? And no, you don't have to anticipate them. You don't have to know them, but you can prepare for them. And the way that we prepare for them is by spending time in God's word. See, when we spend time in God's word, this, this book, it, there is not a single aspect of any, any one of our lives that this book does not speak directly into. Sure, it might not talk directly about things like social media and, and, and you know, like, you know, dating, things like that, but it most certainly gives wisdom that can guide us in doing every single thing that our life contains. This book will prepare you for any decision that you have to make. And so how do we, how do we get there? How do we make decisions before the decision has to be made? We get in the word, we read scripture, and we learn what it says. And we allow this book to make us people of conviction to make us people of conviction. You guys know what that word conviction is? That, that is literally what we're talking about right now. A person of conviction makes decisions before the decision is needed. 
that when they're faced with, with an offer to, uh, I, I don't know, to uh, go to some, to, to some party that they know they have no business being at, they are a person of conviction that goes, no, I don't do those kinds of things. I don't hang out with those kinds of people on a consistent basis because I know that God's word tells me to do otherwise. People of conviction have the decision made before the the decision moment arises. Let's keep on reading in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Here's the third don't. The third don't. Don't focus on what ifs. Don't focus on what ifs. The third don't of, of, look, of not looking like the rest of the world is don't focus on what ifs. In this moment, I, this is like my favorite passage in this entire passage. I think this is incredible. The faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show here is absolutely mind-blowing. And before we even jump into this, I want you to understand, you can't take a stand for God. You can't look different than the world without some degree of faith. And we see that here. There is certainly, like, there must be some aspect of faith in Christ for you to take a stand to look different than the world. See, I believe that the reason that so many Christians today look so much like the world, it's not due to a lack of knowledge. It's due to a lack of faith. And so when you're in those fork-in-the-road moments, I don't want you guys to focus on what-ifs. What do you mean by that? Well, so I I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine that you're sitting in class one day and the professor asks you a question. And many of you, I've heard y'all have been in situations like this. Professor asks you a question and you know the answer that they want to hear. And the answer that they want to hear goes 100% against what God's word has to say, right? Anybody been in that position before? You know what they want to hear, and it goes completely against every bit of truth that that you know to be true. They want to hear that answer, and you have an opportunity in that moment to either say what they want to hear or to tell them what's true, to let that whole room hear what is true. And and in that instant, like literally your brain moving at, at 100 miles an hour, there's some things that start to run through your head, right? And all of them probably start with what if. What if everyone in the class looks at me and goes, all right, seriously? Like, what if I become that guy or that girl? Or what if someone speaks up and challenges me and I don't know how to respond? What if the professor, like, listens to it, hears it, kind of moves on, and then holds a grudge for the rest of the semester, and then I end up failing the class? What if, what if, what if, like your brain just starts firing them off, right? And all of a sudden, through through a pile of what ifs, you get to this place where you're like, you know what? It's not really that big of a deal. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Like it would literally just be so much easier on everyone if I just said what they wanted me to say. And in that moment, you bow your knee to the world. You don't take a stand, you you compromise. And, and I know it sounds like, you know, many of you guys have been faced with, with decisions like that. All of a sudden, a, a whole bunch of what ifs have you doubting 
that God can come through. And they have you looking like the very world that we're called to reach once again. You bow your knee to the world in that moment. And, and, and I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here, they give us a model of faith. That, that if we can take this model that they give us into situations like that, I think we would be blown away uh, at how God can use us to take a stand for him. To keep us from bowing our knee to the world and looking just like the very world that we're called to reach. So, so what do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? What do they say to the king? The first thing that they say is they go, our God can save us. Our God can save us. Now here's the question. Do you believe that? Like when you're, when you're in those moments, do you believe that God, sure, all those what ifs are going through your mind, and that's natural. Do you believe that God can deliver you from those things? Do you believe that God can, can cause that professor, uh, whether he agrees or not, do you believe that God can, can change his heart? Do you believe that God controls the heart of the other students in that classroom? Do you believe that God can save? Do you believe that God can deliver? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they say to the king, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. They say God can save us, but they don't stop there. They say our God will save us. They say uh, he is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But then he, they say, and he will deliver us out of your hand. So it's not just our God can save us. It goes a step further. It gets personal. Our God will save us. So you believe that God can. Sure, absolutely. Like you have faith in that moment. God, you control these people's hearts. You control this situation. I know that you can, but do you believe that he will? That's the second step. They say our God can and our God will. But here, this is my favorite part. I think this is incredible. But if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God can save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're going to make the decision not to bow our knee. So, You know God can do all of those things. You know God does control those situations. He can deliver you. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow my knee. See, just because you take a stand to look different than the world, it does not mean that you won't experience the furnace. It doesn't mean that you won't experience the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have the faith to say, even if we do get thrown into a furnace, that's fine with us. Because dying and standing for Christ is better than living and denying him. And that's the place that we have to get. Now, we're not faced with fiery furnaces, praise the Lord, right? But even if, right, like we can still take this this principle, God can save us, he will save us, but even if he doesn't, and that can be the model that we use to take a stand and look different than the world, right? Like we can take this and put it into practice. If, if you're faced with an, with an opportunity, man, like a friend comes to you and says, hey, we're, me and some others are going to go on a weekend trip, and you know, here are some of the people that are going, here are some of the things that we're going to do, and all of a sudden, red flag comes up. And you're like, that does not seem like a good decision. I know those people. I hear what you guys are going to do. It doesn't sound like it's going to turn into something that I need to be a part of because of what God's word says. In that moment, all those what ifs are probably going through your head, right? But do you believe that God can deliver? 
Do you believe that God can control, he, he can like mitigate those circumstances, he can help you walk through the difficulty, he, he can control the hearts of your friends when you're going, what if they no longer want to hang out with me? What if they think I'm lame? God can control that. And then you go, well, God, God can, but God will. And even if he doesn't, even if I, I have to uh, go through a, a point in time where those people look at me differently, that's okay because I would so much rather, I would so much rather go through a little bit of difficulty and take a stand for Christ than live a comfortable life and deny him. I would so much rather take a stand and honor God with my decisions than live a comfortable life and fly under the radar and look like the rest of the world. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Even if I have to lose friends, even if I have to fail a class, even if I have to end a relationship or get laughed at, it is all worth it. I'd rather go through pain and take a stand for Jesus than live a comfortable life bowing my knee to the world. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We might go through, through difficulty in this life because of the stands that we take for Christ. But there is not a single, like in comparison to the glory that we are moving towards one day, this is a light and momentary affliction that we go through. Taking a stand for him, experiencing persecution, Paul would say, that's a privilege. Do we see it as a privilege? Paul would say, like, I take delight in the ability to suffer for Christ. That's the even if faith. We're not called to have a what if mentality. We're called to have an even-if mindset. I want to invite the band to, to start heading back up. The message of this story does not stop at take a stand when it's hard. Like, that's not where the message of this story is over. Like, I don't want you guys to leave here and go, man, when, when things are difficult, when you have a, an opportunity to take a stand for Jesus, even though things are, are difficult in that moment, take a stand. Like, that's not the idea that I want you walking out of here with. It's actually so much more than that. Check out how the story ends. We're going to read from, from verse 19 to the end of the story. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed. Y'all remember when you were young and you were talking to your parents and the expression of their face just changed and you knew like they meant business? Y'all remember that? That's what's going on here. There, his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. 
He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men, that the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses laid in ruins, For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's the fourth don't for for looking different than the world. The fourth don't is this. Don't stand alone. Don't stand alone. This passage is a picture of the gospel. See, the very thing that Nebuchadnezzar intended to use to bring about the downfall, the destruction of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually became the very thing that would end up killing their enemies and bringing about their victory. And about 2,000 years ago, the enemy had what he thought was this plan. And there was a wooden cross that he thought would bring about the death of our Savior. He, he, he intended that, that cross to be used for death and destruction and to bring about the downfall of, of faith in Jesus. But the very thing that the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. And it's through that cross that was brought about our victory. It's through that cross that was brought about our rescue. And we see that picture through this passage. This is the gospel. And it's through this gospel that we can take a stand. It's only through the power of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf that we have that same power to be able to take a stand against the world. This story would have looked a whole lot different if at the end of it there would have just been three men in the fire, right? Like it would not have ended in the same way that it did. Because if these three guys would have just walked into that furnace by themselves, they're incinerated. They're, they're done. But there were four. And scholars literally believe that that's the angel of the Lord, that that's Jesus himself standing in the fire alongside of these three men. So the message to you tonight is clear. Do not stand alone. If you think that, that you can stand and look different than this world without the power of Jesus working in and through you, then you are sadly mistaken. 
There's someone else that wants to walk through this fire with you. There's someone else that wants to take you by the hand, walk you step by step and say, yeah, I I understand that this road is going to be difficult. Like we didn't choose an easy road as followers of Jesus. I understand that it might be difficult, but I'm going to walk with you through it. And without me, there is no way that you can get to the other side. But with me, you're going to be blown away at what you can accomplish. If we place our faith in Jesus, he will walk through every step of this life with us because he'll take up residence inside of us. And so tonight, if you want to live a faith that goes beyond belief, you can't do it by looking like the world. And I don't know what areas of your life that you've been quick to compromise, that you've been quick to just go, yeah, I'm just going to blend in. I just want to fly under the radar. I'm not looking to ruffle any feathers. I don't know what areas of your life you've done that with, but I want you to know tonight the invitation is on the table to you to begin to take a stand, to be done with with compromising, to be done with looking like the world, and to make the decision that it's through Jesus and his power that I'm going to take a stand. I'm not going to bow my knee to the world. I'm going to bow my knee to the king of kings, and I'm going to let him be the one that walks beside me and fights my battles. So, y'all, tonight, if you've never made the decision for yourself to follow Jesus, uh, in just a moment, the band is going to lead us in a, in a, uh, a time of worship and response. I'm going to be down here next to all these diapers and wipes, and I would love to have a conversation with you uh, about what that looks like. But tonight... If you have been in a place where you've been compromising on your faith, you know, you know Jesus, but you have been compromising, you have been looking like the very world that you're called to reach, I have an invitation for you as well. We did this last week, and, and it's such a sweet time, but here at Hogue, we have the ability, because we're not crammed in the tiny shoebox of the marketplace, we have the ability to respond by coming forward and, and leaving our, our hopes and cares to Jesus. And there is not anything specific about, or like significant about this little area down here. It's just a physical response as to what Jesus is doing inside of you, inside of your heart. So if that's you, if you're like, man, I've been compromising on my faith, and I want to make this right, then tonight I want to invite you during this next song, I want, you, I want to invite you to come down front and lay that before the Lord. This, this area is open for anything that you want to pray about, any, anything that you want to talk to the Lord about, but I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in worship, and I, I want you to respond as the Lord leads you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and God, we're so grateful God, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves in sending your son to to settle the punishment that we deserve. Lord, I pray tonight that this would be a group of people that resolve to look different than the world that you've called us to reach. I pray that we would recognize areas that we compromise. I pray that you would convict us. I pray, God, that you would help us to be people of conviction that make decisions before we're placed in a moment where a decision has to be made. And I pray, God, that we would look different from our surroundings because of it. Father, we love you, and we praise your name, and it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.